Everybody and welcome to episode 40 of Near Death Dolls. I'm Paige. And I'm Lisa. And we are your hosties with the mosties. Wow, talking about ghosties. And other entrenched shit. Yeah, but I don't want to be in a trench. That sounds awful. Yeah, yeah nobody does. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Deep in the muddiness. Uh, so Paige is going to be telling us about hashtag trench life in World War I. Uh, but before we dig in, what drink is fortifying your nerves tonight, Paige? I'll tell you, girl, it's a nice dark red wine. Dark red, like the blood of so many fallen soldiers. Yeah, that was, actually, that was dark. very poetic. Thank you, Lisa, for tying <laughs> that in there. I didn't think about that. <laughs> Sorry, that was really dark. <laughs> hey, it fits in with the episode. It sounds like one of the war documentaries I was watching because they, you know, they get all dramatic like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it makes sense. Makes sense. So I, I am drinking... An Italian wine, which has nothing to do with the trenches of World War One. I. I did hear they had one or two trenches over in Italy, but most of them were in France. I should have drank a French wine. Mm. But this Italian Roscato dark red blend, mm, delicious. It's actually very tasty. It's a red Moscato? A red sc- yeah. Roscato? Yeah. Ru- yeah, Roscato, I believe. Uh, we've talked about this a little bit before, I think, off air, but... I, I guess Moscato is the white and Roscato might be the red. Hmm. Interesting. I mean, I, it makes sense, I guess, to me. <laughs> I could have just made it up. I don't know. But it's pretty tasty. What, one glass will probably knock me on my ass. So let's see how fun this episode gets. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't drink it too fast. How about that? Okay, I'll try not to chug. <laughs> yes. How about you, Lisa? What are you digging into? Um, I am drinking the one-day-old remnants of a product of Italy. It is the Cupcake Vineyards Sparkling Rosé Vintners Select. That sounds really good. <laughs> it was left over from a party I had. It's pink. It's sparkly. I wanted something very feminine since I had ladies over. And uh, yeah, I just grabbed it on my fridge real quick before we started recording. I'm like, oh, there's a little bit left. I'll drink it. But I just brushed my teeth. <laughs> so it tastes really weird right now. I'll, the more I sip on it, the better it's going to taste. I know that. But um, but actually, it's really good. I'm not a fan of rosés that much. They tend to be a little on the sweeter side, at least the ones I've had. But the sparkling mm-hmm. rosé comes off a lot like um, maybe a brute champagne. Mm, okay, brute rosé. Mm-hmm. Sparkling. Awesome. Okay. I, I uh, saw you drinking that, and it looked like fun. <laughs> you saw me drinking from the bottle. Yes, you did. <laughs> <laughs> Dancing at the same time. <laughs> That's how you know Lisa's having a good time. <laughs> yep, drinking from the bottle and dancing to Disney songs. Yes. Yes. You might need to do that a little bit today during our episode, because World War One trenches were not a fun place to be. I cannot imagine. As you know, I'm a fan very big fan of Downton Abbey and then the second season takes place during World War One. Oh, and there are lots of trench scenes um so I'm really interested to know what you have to say about them because they only sh- showed a few things in the trenches but it seemed like a very frightening place to be yes I haven't seen the second season of Downton Abbey I didn't know they did that that's pretty fascinating I want to go watch it now that I've learned more about trenches you should it's very interesting very educational. In fact, uh, okay, so my sources today 
before we get into trenches, um, are two, uh, one documentary, the documentary is called Trench Warfare, Mm -hmm. came out 2014. I watched it on Prime Video. Very good. It's uh, archival footage, black and white, with a voiceover narrating what's going on. And the, so that's my serious source. Now on to my funny source. Um, it's Horrible Histories. Have you heard of that kid show? No, it's a kid <laughs> show? It's technically a kid show, but it's very funny. <laughs> it's irreverent. It's a, it's a based on books by Terry Deary, and it's a BBC show, or a, I don't know if it's on BBC, but it's a British show. Mm-hmm. And yeah, they just, they take all the gross parts from history and slap them up on a comedy sk- sketch show. It's really funny. It's really funny. Huh. Is it like that uh, kid show? Was it histor- Hysteria? Hysteria! hysteria? That, which one was it? Hysteria or Hysteria? I think it was Hysteria, but I have no idea. It was a great show. I used to love that cartoon. Wasn't that the best? Oh, it was so funny. I think about that show frequently. I just need to look it up. I want to watch it again. It was called Hysteria. Yeah. Hysteria! And they would say that, right? Hysteria! <laughs> I'm pretty sure they did. Yeah. There was like the loudmouth kid. Yeah, the loudmouth kid. Yeah, he was like a newsie or something. Oh, my God. yeah. Uh Such a fun show. Yeah, this is uh, live action. But yeah, basically, it's the same kind of humor. Yeah, so uh, both of those, Horrible Histories and Trench Warfare, are on Prime Video as of this recording. So go watch them if you want. I will check it out. Pretty fun stuff and also depressing. Great. That's just what 2021 needs. Uh, That's all we get anyway. Uh, (laughs) So... Just an intro before we get started. The trenches of World War I, they mostly were on the Western Front, which was in Belgium and France. And it was the Allied Forces, which was basically England, France, uh, Australia, Canada, um, against German soldiers. I can't remember. Did the Germans, like, ally with anybody? Did they have... Yeah, um, Germans were allied with... Austro-Hungary. Okay. And so I assume maybe they had some Austro-Hungary soldiers in the trench with them. I don't Mm. know. I'm going to concentrate mostly on the British trenches because they were the hellish ones. The German trenches, as we'll find out, were a bit nicer. They they planned it out better than the British did. So, um, and we'll learn about that a little later, but how nice it was and how gross the British one was. But, um, the reason that they were in trenches was to offer protection from artillery attack, poison gases, and machine gun fire. And because both sides were deeply entrenched, wink, wink, they had the same, and they had the same, about the same technology and weaponry as each other. There was a stalemate between them that lasted about three, three and a half years. That's a long time to live in a dirty ass trench. That is a long time. They did get rotated out. It wasn't like the same guy from beginning to end, you know? And, yeah. you know, obviously, unfortunately, there was a lot of uh, casualties. But yeah, it's a long time to be stuck in a trench. So we're going to get into how the stalemate ended and what new piece of technology the Brits brought with them finally to end the war. For the most part. You know, I don't actually know how it ended. Like, I'm, I like history, but sometimes I forget things. Like, I feel like World War One gets forgotten a lot because everyone's kind of right. more focused on two because it's more recent. So I'm, I'm very excited to hear how, how it actually ended because I don't really know. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I am. Uh, I hate to say this. And don't don't crucify me, guys. But I am more interested in World War II as a his, 
historical, you know, I mean, I think most people are because the Nazis were such bad guys that it's like, yeah, let's get into this war and learn about it. And then Mm -hmm. in World War One, everyone was just kind of I, everybody just thought everybody else was a bad guy. There wasn't any as many concentration camps. (laughs) So uh, it's hard to to know who's the good guys and who's the bad guys here. I think sometimes um, it's really hard to know in the moment who's good and who's bad because everyone thinks they're the good guy. Yeah, and winners write the history books. That's very true. And so, they can even erase some of the past. Yes, yes. I feel like that uh, World War One. now that it's been 100 years, you know, maybe we can start looking at it a little bit. I'm sure historians have been looking at it for a long oh, time sure. and I'm just ignorant, but... Um, <laughs> Um, let's do a brief rundown of how World War One started. Um, it's not an episode about World War One, so this is going to be a very brief summary of how World War One started. Um, so in 1914, amidst rising tensions in Europe, as well as many confusing alliances between different countries, Archduke Franz Ferdinand of Austria and his wife were assassinated when they were traveling through Bosnia. That's right. Yes. And he and his wife were killed by Serbian nationalists who Mm. were protesting Austro-Hungarian rule over Bosnia. So a month and a day after France was assassinated, Austro-Hungary declared war against Serbia and Germany came to their aid because they had an alliance and Russia had an alliance with Serbia. So Feels Russia like an episode of Survivor. There. Yeah, exactly. It's very confusing. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, so Aust- uh, Austrian Archduke got assassinated in Bosnia. So Brit- Britain and Germany are going to go to war. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. That's how it ends up being is because of all these alliances, people just side with each other and it turned into this big world war all these countries involved. It ended up being Russia, Belgium, France, Great Britain, and many others who took Serbia's side over Austro-Hungary and Germany. So that's how it started. And then came the trench warfare. So would you say that's the main type of warfare at the time, for the time, I guess? I would say that that was the main focus of the war. Um, Germany had both two sides to fight, and that was another reason they probably didn't do very well. They had to Mm -hmm. fight the Russians and the, you know, British and French forces on the Western Front. So there was a lot of fighting going on all over. Uh, We are going to concentrate on the trench warfare because it was so awful. Okay. And harrowing for the soldiers. Of course, it was harrowing on all sides, but this part is what we're going to concentrate on. Now, what happened, how to, how the trench warfare started. In August 1914, Germany invaded Belgium, heading for France to invade France. And they shot a lot of civilians along the way. It's not very good wartime practices, but, you know. No. All's fair, I guess, in love and war, but whatever. Um, British troops were deployed to France where the two armies stood side by side to fight off the invading Germans. This was called the First Battle of Marny. It was fought from September 6th to the 12th of 1914. And at the end of this battle, the British and the French armies were able to push the German invaders back north, back into like Belgium territory. Now the Germans, when they got pushed back, they retreated a little bit. They found really good high ground with good soil and they dug in literally 
to make a sophisticated series of trenches and setting the trench warfare precedent. I'm over here looking at pictures of different like trenches and how they built them. It's very interesting. We're going to get into a little bit of how they built the trenches too. First, we're talking about why the trenches, like what weaponry made it necessary to hide in the ground from each other. Specific to World War I, trenches were necessary because of the Industrial Revolution. Oh, okay. Didn't think of that, but okay. Right. I mean, it's not the first war that trenches had been used. And, mm-hmm. you know, trenches had been going back since ancient times. They use them as moats and castles, you know. It's an old concept. But they had to reuse it in this war because of machine guns, artillery, barbed wire, and hand grenades. Those are some of the four top and uh, poisonous gases. So mm-hmm. those are some of the inventions that came about for World War One that made trench life seemingly inevitable to hide from each other because they both had these types of weapons and they were so awful and they really didn't know how to use them tactically yet. So this three and a half years spent in trenches were them learning how to use these artillery, hand grenades, things like that properly against each other. Now I say this with the most love and respect that I can possible, but World War I trench warfare Seems to me like a recess game gone awful. Gone very wrong. Yes, I can definitely see that. Yes, thank you, Lisa, because I was watching this documentary and halfway through I turned to Sam and I'm like, they didn't know what they were doing, did they? (laughs) And he was like, nope, they did not. They had to figure it out along the way. (laughs) I feel like, okay, based on knowing very, very little, I feel like it's when you're playing, almost like when you're playing tag, when you're playing mm-hmm. tag, it's like home base where you yeah. kind of, it's like always staying at base until you have to absolutely push forward. Yes, it's exactly like that. That's what they were doing. And they, they have like the the rules, um, basically some of the rules that we'll get into. It's like you can't cross no man's land during the day. It's just kind of an unspoken thing. You're going to have to tell me what uh, no man's land is. I saw it pop up whenever I was searching trench warfare. Um, oh, sure, I have no sure. idea what it actually means, to be honest. So part of the recess bullshit. It's like the- <laughs> <laughs> don't cross this line. Exactly. No man's land. No man. This is my territory. Don't cross this barbed wire fence right here. It's like it is. It's the dirt in between the trenches facing each other, the Germans and the Allied forces. Mm-hmm. So there's a bunch of barbed wire, a bunch of landmines unexploded artillery shells all in this no man's land in between the two trenches in between the enemy trenches there's more than uh there there's several trench warfares going on throughout the western front it's not just one now as for how uh, how the british designed their trenches they were typically eight to twelve feet deep dug out by soldiers and the soldiers had to be very careful digging these as you can imagine they couldn't just go out there in the middle of the day and just start digging a hole because they'd get killed by the enemies. Oh, okay. They had to tunnel. Sometimes they would tunnel from their existing trench to make a new one. It took a long time, but it was a little safer. So there wasn't like a, a prep day or, or something, a prep month where each I was like, hey, okay, we're each going to build our like bases. We're going to build our trenches. Nobody <laughs> fire. Hey, don't you fire Don't start me. yet. <laughs> Mom! Exactly. He's not playing fair. I got dirt in my eye. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, yeah, I go cry home to mommy. 
Yeah, unfortunately, no, they didn't have that. They were very rude to each other in this uh, recess game. <laughs> okay, gotcha. Yeah, they had to do it. Yeah, by sneak attack. So they would, mm. eat, like I said, they'd either tunnel through and then create, like, dig up in order to uncover the quote unquote dirt ceiling. You know what I'm saying? Okay. So, like, open yeah. up the trench. Yeah. Or um, they would sandbag, quote unquote, sandbag, which is, it sounds dirty. It's not. Um, <laughs> to any relation to teabagging? No relation to teabagging in this sense, at least. <laughs> okay. I thought, you know, British, uh, they love their tea. I'm just kidding. I'm just fucking around. <laughs> Paige is like, wow, okay, Lisa, whatever. Dumb bitch. <laughs> so they would uh, tunnel sometimes, but they would also use sandbags to create an above ground trench by like placing dirt and sandbags on top of the ground to build up so that they could hide behind that instead of digging down into the dirt. Yeah, that, that's smart, right? Yeah, I mean, that I would one, assume it is. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. It might be a little bit more time consuming to place all those sandbags. I don't know. But mm. it was more hygienic for sure, because if since they were on top of the ground instead of dug down deep into the ground, they didn't get flooded as bad. Oh, I didn't even think about flooding like when it rains. Yeah, yeah. So <gasps> that's yeah. one of the big problems is that with all the artillery fire, the land is pockmarked with all these ditches now. There's no drainage anymore. Mm-hmm. Natural. There's no natural drainage anymore. So right. what happens is the trenches become the drainage for the, the runoff from the rain. No. Yeah, bad juju, man, because they would get all kinds of diseases, you know, mosquitoes, fleas. Like, it's just disgusting. <laughs> Yuck. They'd get something called trench foot because they would stand in the water all day. It was basically, you know, th- their feet would go numb and have to get amputated. Really? Pretty awful stuff. Now, they designed these trenches to not straight lines. They didn't want straight lines in these trenches. Because you imagine if the German forces were able to jump down into the trench and it mm-hmm. was a straight line of like 20 guys all facing the Germans, the guys could literally just take them all out with a couple hand grenades firing Mm. off their shots, you know, things like that. Yes. So instead of having straight line trenches, they would make them curvy and snake-like. If you're looking at trenches and you see an aerial view of them, Lisa, you'll see that, that they're not in a straight line. But it makes sense. It definitely makes sense because if the enemy is shooting and they notice they actually get one in and they just keep moving along at the same exact rate. I don't know how the stuff works. Yeah. They no, can you're totally easily right. figure out how to keep doing the same thing. But here I see all kinds of weird patterns. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. Lots of squiggly lines. If they were, for instance, to get a, uh, a hand grenade into mm-hmm. the uh, trench since it's all curvy it would only affect a small portion of the trench because it would be blocked off just naturally with the right. passage of the curviness it wouldn't be able to move over to the other soldiers in the other part of the trench so they were trying to be smart about it trying to be tactical makes sense i mean you're trying your best it may not be the smartest thing but you're trying yeah they're doing everything they can to make sure they don't die and that they can attack germany as well <laughs> right now, they, the British had a four-trench system, so those lines we were talking about, the squiggly lines, there was four parallel, quote-unquote parallel squiggly lines facing the German uh, trenches. There was the front-line trench, 
mm-hmm. as you can imagine, that's the one that's in front. Closest, yes. The clo- yeah, the closest one, uh, right, on, right off of no man's land. It's about a mile away from the enemy's trench. And anybody in the frontline trench has to be on guard for enemy attacks the whole time they're there. Then there's the support trench. That's several yards back from the frontline trench. It was used to keep the front line supplied with ammunition and extra soldiers in case of attack. Then the third line back is the reserve trench. It's used to give soldiers a small respite from the front line trench and also used as a fail safe in case the front line trench was overrun. Now I said four lines, I meant three lines and the fourth line <laughs> is perpendicular. So it it connects all three lines. Right, because you got to get from place to place. Right, without going up. (laughs) And so that fourth line is called the communication trench. And it just it just made everything connected easier so that you could easily uh, rotate men in and out of the front line trench. So let me ask you this, and maybe I'm jumping ahead. So when they're like switching out men or Mm -hmm. going through men, because I'm sure some people died, some people get a like a break and get to go home for like a few weeks or something. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Do how do they go to and fro do they call like a halt like pause or you know time or whatever they call it but just to say okay on this day at this time we're switching people out do they agree with that with the enemy Mm -hmm. or do they just go so far back that they're able to sneak them out without getting hurt that's basically the answer yeah they had to be real sneaky about it there was no truces there was no like days off or anything Mm -hmm. no like hey this guy's really hurt let's get him out of here just give us a minute you know it was all horrible (laughs) so there was a few scenes in downtown abbey i'm like fuck that shit thank god i'm a girl (laughs) oh shit Yeah, we didn't get drafted. <laughs> yeah, you, you're going to definitely have to watch that because there were some scenes in the trenches that were like terrifying and freaked me out so bad. Oh my God. Okay. Yeah, after this, I want to because I'm interested I mean, I'm interested it, it came now. on PBS and BBC. It's not like uber terrible, but I'm like just things that don't occur to you as a modern day person who's never had yeah. to be in anything like this ever i don't know if i'll ever have to be anything like this i pray i don't i hope you don't yeah i mean it sounds really awful and they kind i mean i hate to say it but they kind of did it to themselves i mean like they they decided let's do trenches (laughs) and then then they were stuck there for three years so um, but you're right they needed to get people out of there and rotate people through because of shell shock and that came from artillery fire so shell shock was the world war one term because they didn't know what ptsd was at the time they called it shell shock because after artillery fire and artillery fire could go on for days right right just bombarding the enemy trench okay so the people who would get shell shock the symptoms are tremors disorientation fatigue headaches impaired senses like sight and or hearing Mm -hmm. and just being catatonic like they just can't function a little for a while and doctors and officers in the army were just like what the fuck is this because this is unprecedented this is the first war where artillery is used so heavily that they were uh, confused they were like oh we've never seen soldiers in this great quantity have you know this catatonic state so that's when they came up with the term shell shock because it was the artillery shells that were causing it Mm -hmm. at that time 
Um, and now we know it's called PTSD, post-traumatic mm-hmm. stress disorder. And I bet like once, you know, if they had it and they went home and any loud noise would probably trigger them back yeah. into a, a state. Yeah, you know, I think or an I episode. had. Yeah, yeah, like they would go catatonic or they would feel like they're back in war and start punching people and like, <laughs> yeah, trying to run outside or something. Yeah, I've heard mm-hmm. of that, like people... And people still having issues with that when they're veterans these days, too. I know. And you know what? That's one of those... Everyone has, like, a thing or a couple things. And that's one of the ones I think about a lot is, like, veterans, even now, um, people coming back from overseas, things they've been through, like, I'll never know. But I feel like they should be taken care of a lot more than they are. I feel like they go through so much trying to get, like, benefits and get health care and they you know, going through like all the army or the, any kind yeah. of military stuff. It's just, I know, I believe what your brother was in, uh, in the military. Yeah. My brother was in the army. Mm-hmm. My dad was in the army. Oh, okay. My uncle went to Vietnam. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I got a cup. Uh, my grandpa was in Korea, I think. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. it's awful. Yes. Yes. But luckily, I mean, my brother didn't see combat. Okay. Neither did my dad. So, mm-hmm. They didn't get to that point of it. But I agree with you. They they make it very difficult for veterans to live. <laughs> like they, they come back here. They don't have a job. They don't have money. They just <laughs> And they've been like, trained. Yeah, I feel like they're told, hey, join us and we'll take care of you. We'll give you, you know, money for school. We'll help you with this. We'll help you with that. But then they make you jump through a million bajillion hoops to get anything. Yes. Health care or a job or and it really like tugs at my heart um me too man so yeah it's just one of those things that kind of like just irks me that they make it so hard for these people who've given either you know their their years of service or mm-hmm. even if they never saw any action or gotten any kind of real dangerous we should always take care of our soldiers yeah they signed up to help us and Right. No one can't in this help. day and age, no one's forced anybody to join. So yeah. I definitely say if you're to, if you're one to sign up for it, you need to be taken care of. And I think we should do a better job of supporting that. Absolutely, yeah. Sorry, I went on a tangent there because I, I definitely care about our our veterans and our servicemen and women. Yes, absolutely. Me too. That's part of the episode. Yeah, is that war is hell. <laughs> Service, you know army service as hell but um yeah so the the trenches the construction of the trench itself i'm going to talk about the frontline trench so the trenches at the front line had an embankment at the top lined with sandbags so that the person watching out gets a little bit of cover the walls are reinforced by sandbags and wooden beams so they don't collapse and Along the wall facing the enemy, so the guy standing there with his gun, there's a little shelf for his elbow so he can prop his gun up and he can watch no man's land to make sure nobody's coming. And there, right beneath his elbow where there's a shelf for his elbow, there's a shelf for his ammunition. So it's safe, it's dry, hopefully, and he can kneel down or, you know, squat down away from fire, hopefully, and safely reload his gun so that's that was some of the you know the the way they constructed the trench in order for you know practical reasons and like we said before with trench foot in order to avoid trench foot as much as possible uh they would dig a deeper ditch underneath themselves and 
put what they call duck boards, which are just, you know, wooden beams across it so that they stand on the wooden beams and hopefully they're not standing in water. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So that's the duck boards. That's underneath their feet. But behind them, behind the duck boards and, you know, at the soldier's back is a dugout. So it's, it's like a bear den dugout behind them so that they can go duck in for cover, duck in to have a nap when their shift is over, whatever they can do. So they all have their little dugouts. So that's what the, that's how they uh, constructed the frontline trench. Then in order to build all these trenches, it took approximately 450 men six hours to build 250 meters of British trenches. That's a lot of time. <laughs> a lot of men, a lot of time. <laughs> yes, a lot of effort. Yes. Now, how often did they have to build these, you might be asking? How often did they have to build these, I'm asking you? <laughs> Thank you, Lisa. I'm so glad you asked. I was very curious. <laughs> the soldiers sometimes had to build new trenches every several days, depending on how often they could advance on the enemy or how often they got advanced on. Okay, so they're continuously building towards no man's land. Do I understand yeah. correctly? Okay. Yeah, there's a lot of push and pull, a lot of different. Uh, so they, they would move locations to get away mm-hmm. from, you know, from their old trench, they'd move to a different area. There's a lot of destruction of the land going on here. I'm, I'm, as you're describing this, I'm looking at a diagram about the different trenches, and, and that's how I'm able to understand. I'll make sure I post this for our listeners. I uh, sent you one too. It was last week. It was a uh, trench. Oh yes, illustration. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. So that's the what I was describing. It's got the elbow rest. It's got the ammunition shelf. Mm-hmm. This one says it's two meters deep which is what, about like six feet? Six feet. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, so about six feet deep for that one. So that's um, about the size of a man, maybe maybe a few inches above or below, you know. Depending on how tall the guy is, how, how short they're squatting down. Yeah, absolutely. So it's a small place, a very claustrophobic conditions, I would say. Mm-hmm. Oh, gosh, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, that's awful. Yeah, like even though it's a t- the top is off, like you've got – quote unquote fresh air up there and like sunlight and moonlight and whatever I would still be claustrophobic down in there no that's that's kind of terrifying to think about yeah you're in there you don't know when the enemy's coming sometimes the enemy flanks you so they show up from behind I didn't think about that right that's why they put barbed wire on both sides (laughs) that's smart and you know with the barbed wire uh if they ever wanted to cross no man's land to attack the other trench on foot which is how they did it and at night um, they would bring wire cutters trying to cut the, the barbed wire. However, the wire cutters that the British troops brought with them weren't strong enough to cut German barbed wire. <laughs> that German ingenuity. <laughs> exactly. Those Germans were prepared. <laughs> Sounds like it. Yes, yes. So life inside the trenches that's kind of what we've been covering is just like the construction of the trenches why there were trenches in the first place mm-hmm. let's talk about kind of day-to-day life in them as we mentioned three and a half years people had to live in these trenches and it was torturous you know what i was thinking of i can't imagine taking a break like taking your time off and then having to come back like knowing you had to come back yeah knowing how awful it is can imagine you your body would shut down just to make sure you can't go back yeah i'm th- i'm thinking like 
just the trauma of it. And then I bet a lot of people went AWOL. I'm so sure you're right about that. Yeah. A lot of people probably if they ever got sent home or to a Mm -hmm. hospital, I'm sure they ran away. And the trenches, like we mentioned, claustrophobic tight spaces, lots of little roommates, but not fun ones. They had lice, rampant lice. Lice, that's common for anybody with a kid. I know, right? I had lice like three times in my life as a kid. (laughs) I think I had it once, but once was enough. Oh, sure. Yeah. Lice is freaking awful. I remember in fifth grade, I got lice. I had to cut all my hair off and I was devastated. And now I don't even like long hair. So see how the tides have turned. You got a feel for it, didn't you? Yeah, I guess so. I did actually. I did get a feel for it. (laughs) (laughs) So they had lice, rats, and fleas. And a lot of other, like frogs even, because the rains would bring the water down in there. It's just not a, not a decent hobbit hole, you know? No, this is no hobbit hole. Yeah, yes. And in fact, I think J.R.R. Tolkien fought in World War I, and he claims that, you know, hobbit holes and the warfare described in the later books had nothing to do with his time in the war. But, you know, I think, I think it did a little bit without him knowing it. Mm. Maybe. I feel like the Hobbit homes were like very cozy and cute and stuff like that. They were. And I think he did that on purpose because he said something about in the beginning of The Hobbit or Lord of the Rings, he put hobbits live in a hole, but it's not a nasty little hole. It's cozy. (laughs) So I think he was like, it's not a fucking trench. I'll tell you that. (laughs) Maybe he was trying to rewrite it in his head. Like, I don't want to remember these trenches as something awful. Let me turn it into something cozy and loving and family oriented or whatever something to make him feel better about dry Mm -hmm. yeah i think you're right i think it was like a he was helping himself yeah i hope i mean i hope he was feeling better about his time served i don't know but um like we said before there was a lot of flooding going on cause trench foot and what would happen is the foot would go numb turn blue kind of i you know what in frostbite does the flesh turn blue or black i don't know to be honest i don't know yeah i've never had it starts blue and goes black as the skin is dying yeah that makes sense yeah the necrosis sets in Ooh, yeah. look at you with your fancy words necrosis yeah watch a lot of forensic files (laughs) that's right that's right so the when the foot would get infected, some cases it would have to be amputated. Like there was no going back. Ugh. Poor guys. They were just trying to, you know, survive in these trenches. And if something as simple as trench foot gets them. Well, you know, the the other side of it is if they get their legs amputated, their feet amputated off, they probably get sent home. So, that is true. You know. When you got injured in some way, you did get to go home. Yeah. So a little trade off there. I'm awful pretty sure off. they prefer to keep their limbs yeah i mean man you know i'm sure it was a very tough decision it's like should i stand in this water or not <laughs> probably not they should not but the winters were harsh too so they had uh they had trench foot they but they would also get frostbite in the winters mm-hmm. lose fingers and things like that noses Ooh. oh yeah i didn't think about that i didn't show very that cold, in downtown abbey they sure didn't <laughs> they don't show that in a lot of movies um but they another thing that we briefly mentioned before was poisonous gases this mm-hmm. war was one of the first major wars where poisonous gases were used some of these had just been invented or discovered i should say um 
for instance, they, in World War I, these were some of the common gases used as trenches. There was chlorine gas, mm-hmm. phosgene, I might be saying that wrong, and mustard gas. These are all awful. I mean, yeah. you don't want any of them. But the chlorine gl- gas was a little better. It wasn't as deadly as the other two. It was just an irritant. So it would irritate the nose, the eyes, the throat, and, you know, generally be very, very uncomfortable. But the other two were deadly. So the you said the chlorine gas is the one that's more like a pepper spray? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a little bit more of a pepper spray. It's, vi- it's, 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 it's you know, uncomfortable. It's awful, but mm-hmm. it's not as deadly. And there's, I, I'm sure, maybe even in Downton Abbey, they showed this, the, the gas mask that they'd have to wear or that they would have ready to throw on their faces in case of a gas attack. I didn't see any of that. That's interesting, though. Yeah, and that didn't actually come till a little bit later in the war. So mm. early days in the trenches, they didn't have enough gas masks to go around. And if they were attacked with gas, the soldiers in panic would, and it's actually a good idea, it actually worked out at the time, before they started using the more deadlier gases. If a soldier peed on something fabric and put it over their faces, the urea in the pee actually disabled the poisons. So they were okay. I really wish we were Skyping right now because my face has to be hilarious. <laughs> I want to see it. <laughs> Snap a picture. <laughs> yeah, yes. Pee on your face. Helps you not die. <laughs> but then they got gas masks and they had they didn't have to do that as much anymore. <laughs> That's probably a good good invention there. Yes, give our boys some fucking gas masks, please, for God's sake. <laughs> Don't make them pee on their face. Hmm. Whatever works, right? <laughs> so, another thing is, I mentioned earlier, there was some rules going on without it being officially stated. Um, neither the Germans nor the Allied forces would really try to attack each other uh, full frontal, like, on foot during the day because it was too dangerous. So this isn't like revolutionary war style no mm -mm. there was no like soldiers lined up wait till you see the white of their eyes kind of thing yeah yeah no not at all and that is a big part of this war is because not not right up until this war but you know over the last you know several decades before this war that revolutionary war style of you know kind of a gentleman's war where you're in line it's not guerrilla warfare at all you know it's all very face to face and like you said see wait till you see the whites of their eyes and everybody knows where everybody is basically it's not like that they have raids they have you know flanking armies and you know the barbed wire and the landmines and things like that so if during the day you were trying to do a full frontal assault across no man's land the enemy could see you coming immediately and kill you right and you'd have to stop take time to try and cut the barbed wire, and that gives them even more time to try and kill you. Is there any way that they would dig under the barbed wire? They would try. Oh, yeah, absolutely. They would tunnel into enemy trenches. 
Um, they would tunnel, like I said, they would tunnel to build their own trenches. But yeah, mm-hmm. they tried all kinds of things to like circumvent the barbed wire, to avoid being seen by the enemy when they were attacking. But yeah, you're right. They would tunnel underneath. Oh my God. Could you imagine, tu- did anyone ever tunnel all the way into someone else's uh, trenches and like they knocked down their wall and was like, oops, hey, <laughs> was that? <laughs> we're Germans. <laughs> We're Germans or we're British. No. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I'm, it was easy to tell as soon as they opened their mouth. Yeah. Yeah. We are, we are British, right? Right? right. We do not like the schnitzel. <laughs> no, they would like the schnitzel. No, they, they're pretending not to like the schnitzel, Lisa, because they're trying to be British. Oh, you're saying, so, okay, I was going the opposite way. Ah, okay. I was okay. saying the British were using the accent, and they're like, we love the schnitzel. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't know what accent that was, but I am so sorry. You're doing a our, great job. <laughs> all of our listeners who are not from America. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, actually, you did a good job of a British person trying to be a German person, so there you go. Not bad for an American. Not bad. Not bad. <laughs> <laughs> Germany is the only accent I've studied to be able to try and replicate it because, um, what was it? I was playing Dungeons and Dragons and my character, I decided she was German. Or like, I, that was the accent I was going to use for my character. Very nice. So there you go. Little, little uh, sidetrack there. <laughs> um, now, the night raids. So like I said, they couldn't do it during the day. It was too dangerous. But what they could do was during the night... They'd have to be on high alert because both sides were doing night raids. They'd have to be ready to, you know, make sure nobody's coming at them, but also Mm -hmm. plan their own attack on the other trench. Yes. So they would only attack at night, but also in particular, first thing in the morning at about 5 a.m. Before they had their coffee? Right? (laughs) As you'll learn, they ran out of coffee like years ago. Oh, no. (laughs) Yeah, we're going to talk about the food coming up here in a second. The lack of food, I should say. But yeah, the soldiers were not allowed to sleep at night because that was, you know, party time. They only got to sleep for a short amount of time during the day. But as you can imagine, with rats crawling all over you, and it's bright and sunny, and you might even be sleeping in a pool of water, they just did not get a lot of sleep in these trenches. I can't imagine it was <clears throat> better than a than a Holiday Inn. I'm sorry, Holiday Inns are actually pretty nice. Scottish Inns. How let's, let's do that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, so it's not nice not good Mm. stuff they're probably getting shell shock from not sleeping as well and there's a story that they told in the documentary the you know the serious documentary that i watched as well Mm. as the funny one they said um that soldiers would frequently wake up from whatever you know nap or something they were trying to take with rats in their mouths trying to get into their mouths gross isn't that disgusting those poor soldiers are like i don't get any sleep and now a fucking rat is waking me up <laughs> in my mouth disgusting oh my gosh i'm never sleeping again in a trench at least <laughs> not a shoot oh god yeah it's so so disheartening all the shit they had to go through mm-hmm. uh, and not only would the rat the rats get in their mouths the rats would nibble on them while they were asleep like because the rats were starving just like the men 
The rats ate all their all the men's food, so they're both starving. Thanks, rats. And they have fleas that carry disease. Yeah, yep. As we learned in our Black Plague episode, those rats are real nasty, and these ones are too. Yep, can't imagine they're any better. What was that? I said I can't imagine they're any better. No, yeah, nope. (laughs) Maybe even worse because everybody's living in the in the shit, Mm. and literally in the shit because they couldn't. The British, anyway. The Germans had some sort of latrines and plumbing and stuff like that, basically. But mm. the British had latrines basically right next to them because they couldn't go far away. They had to stay safe in the trench. So they had to poop where they were sitting, basically. It was an official latrine, but it was very close. So imagine flooding, getting in the latrine, carrying it through the trench. It's just awful, awful, disgusting place. Ugh, goodness gracious, no. No, thank you. And that's also disease carrying, so. Mm -hmm. Woo, everybody's sick. (laughs) Now, (laughs) the food. Let's get into what kind of food they had to eat once they ran out of rations. Towards the end of trench warfare, the food Mm -hmm. supplies dwindled to nothing. Specifically, well, for both the Allied forces and for the German forces, but... German forces specifically, because a lot of their resources were being allocated to the Eastern Front fighting Russia. Yeah. So these Western fronters shit out of luck after a while. They didn't have anything to eat. Mm -hmm. So in order to stave off hunger, I'm going to talk about four different things they would do with non-food items to pretend that they were food. Keep in mind, I'm about to go to dinner after this, so... (laughs) You might want to, like, shut off your headphones for a sec. No, I'm just kidding. It's not as gross as you're thinking, I don't think. It's not gross. It's just like, man, that's depressing that that's what they were stuck with. Okay. So, first, and they would call this their fake food, the Germans. Their first bit of fake food was, quote-unquote, pepper. What? (laughs) because they ran out of pepper. They didn't have anything to season their gross food with because <laughs> they ran out of pepper. So what they would do instead was take the ashes from the fire and sprinkle it on their food. Okay, that's better than I thought. When you said ashes, I'm like, are they cremating people? No, they didn't really do that much, but still, I was like, Ugh. They didn't have time to cremate. They would just leave the bodies out of the trenches and the rats would eat them. <gasps> no. <laughs> yup. <laughs> Pretty awful. Mm. Excuse me, but so they they did ashes for pepper and for quote unquote bread. This was made from beans mixed with sawdust to hold it together and give it some, you know, extra oomph. (laughs) Oh, poor guys. That's rough. Yeah. Yeah. It's not not nutritionally good. No. Yeah. No wonder there. I mean. They're already tired, they're not getting any sleep, and they're not eating anything that's real food. Mm-hmm. So, you know, just bad all around. Ugh. Um, now for coffee, this is the, the one that we mentioned before. They made coffee, once they ran out of coffee, they made it out of coal tar. So like from fires, the coal. Mm-hmm. They would use coal tar mixed with turnips for their coffee. That can't be good for you. I, I get it. Uh, uh, like, okay, it sounds look, like poison. Yeah, it sounds like it would do, you know, long-term damage or something. I imagine it did. I'm sure that the people drinking that fucking coal tar every morning. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm sure it messed up their intestines or something. (laughs) 
Ugh, yeah, awful. And turnips. I don't know why turnips. <laughs> just and maybe it was boil. just easily available. I don't know. Yeah, like after a while, I think that might have been the only thing they were left with is some moldy old turnips. Ugh. I know, right? And the last thing that I've ha- that I have written down, there was a few more things than this, were quote unquote eggs. Now these eggs, eggs were potatoes, so that's a real food. But they were fried up, so it's fried potatoes. Yay! Everybody mm. loves French fries, Yo. except <laughs> they they used fat from boiled rats to fry these potatoes. Well, it is a fat. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's the closest thing to food that I've mentioned so far. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. But it's disgusting. I'm sure the, uh, maybe if you boil the fat, the diseases leave it. I don't know. Disgusting. (laughs) Yeah, so that's the food or lack of food that the Germans had to deal with. Now, like I mentioned before, German trenches were a lot better. They had elaborate comfortable living quarters about 50 feet deep in the ground some of them to be safe they had stairs concrete stairs that they put in electricity toilets beds better medical care <laughs> like they just, they were taking care of their soldiers a lot better but the british troops really didn't have time to establish their trenches since the germans had already done it so it's like germans beat them there british just had to or the allied forces just had to make do now we reach the end of the trench warfare and how it ended. Oh, God, thank God. I know, right? <laughs> oh, it's over. Thank God. <laughs> now, how did it end, though? After this huge stalemate for three and a half years, where they're just literally throwing whatever they can at each other, what actually broke the stalemate? It was tanks, Lisa. Tanks. The British invented tanks. Yes. The British invented tanks? I didn't know that. Uh, yeah, I believe the British invented... I know, that's a really good point. I think the British invented them. The British were the first ones to bring them to the battlefield in World War One, and they were manufactured in France, I believe. The British developed the tanks in response to trench warfare in World War One. Okay, that's according to history.com. British, okay, done, ready. But let's just go with that history channel. Apparently, they know, they know... If anybody knows, it's them. (laughs) They're the authorities. (laughs) So there you go. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you for confirming that. You got it. Lancelot? Yeah, his name was Lancelot the Mole. Lancelot invented tanks for the British to defeat the Germans. In response to trench warfare. In a, yeah, in response to trench warfare. And you, you, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, now looking back on it, that the, the tank would be so much better at attacking trenches because you can roll the tank over the barbed wire. It's not going to affect the tank. Mm-hmm. If they're throwing things at you, you know, you're a lot better protected than if you're just running on foot and you can roll right over their trenches <laughs> and squash some people on the way. Yikes. Yeah, so it's awful and very scary, I'm sure, for the Germans to be like, what the fuck is that coming at us right now? They'd never seen one before, you know. It's just <laughs> big metal car thing. And in 19... So that was in 1916 when they were able to create a working tank prototype. Trenches were useless after that. Thank God. <laughs> done. Done. That's why there really hasn't been any trench warfare since then because of tanks. So that there wasn't really much trench warfare in World War II, I'm guessing. I guess there was a lot more tanks. Yeah. 
There was a lot more tanks, yes. Okay. By that time, the Germans got hold of, you know, tank technology and had built their own. And that's what created the Blitzkrieg, the fast war, because they were like just rolling in on tanks. Can't tank really tech. Them. Hashtag tank tech. <laughs> tank tag. Tech. Technology. Tech. Tank. Tank tech. Tank tech. I like that. That's good. Hashtag tank tech. <laughs> That's good. Tur- hashtag trench life. Hashtag tank tank tech. tech. Gets rid of trench life. Thank God. <laughs> Squashes it. No pun intended, but definitely pun intended. Definitely pun intended, though. Yeah, this is near death dolls. We're all about the puns. <laughs> we are punny. We are punny. <laughs> so, like I said, the tanks definitely turned the tides against the Germans. The Germans were able to salvage a few tanks, ma- meaning, like, if they found them on the battlefield, uh-huh. they could try to use them or to, you know, research on them or something. But it really wasn't enough because the Allied forces had 3,000 tanks and the Germans had like 10, basically, that weren't working because they were destroyed and abandoned. (laughs) So the Allied forces were out on top on this one. And I'm going to go out on a limb and say that tanks were what won World War I. I don't think I'm the first person to say that. At least I hope not. (laughs) I'm pretty sure not. Um, I do have a question when we're done, just to revisit that well we're basically done with trenches now we only have a couple little anecdotes to talk about so yeah go ahead okay so question probably my only question is are there the decaying ruins of trenches today like can you go over into uh overseas into europe and actually find trenches that that are like left over that is so funny lisa we were just about to talk about that okay (laughs) let's talk about it like psychic I guess You're that was psychic. the one thing that, like, as soon as we started talking about this, it kind of, like, popped in my head. I'm like, I wonder if you can actually still go and see trenches. So let's get into whatever you have to get into. Yeah, for sure, because that's the first thing happened to me, too, Lisa. It was I was like, okay, I want to do trenches for an episode. Let me just do a quick cursory Google search just to see where I could start with these different documentaries, which one I want to watch, what books I want to read, etc., Well, the first thing that came up was an article about trenches in the modern day, like what happened to them afterwards. Oh. And I was like, wow. It's all, it was, I I worked backwards from there and it it just was so fascinating to see it modern day all grown over and looking, you know, fairly normal. And then going backwards into like the black and white footage of trenches at the time. And it was like, oh my God, what a strange juxtaposition. But what happened to them afterwards, so after World War I was over, there was so many trenches that had been dug by both sides of the, you know, of the war, that if you lined up every single trench in a straight line together, it would be 25,000 miles long, Good approximately. God. Oh my goodness. So many trenches dug in three and a half years. Yeah. <laughs> and that's a lot of land given over to these shitty trenches that destroyed, you know, whatever farmland and wilderness had been there before. Mm-hmm. They tried to, some of some farmers came back in, tried to reclaim their farm and, you know, fix up the land. Um, so that did happen. They did get a little bit of farmland back. Mm-hmm. But it's very dangerous there because there's still, uh, you know, even a hu- over 100 years later, there's still unexploded bombs. 
unexploded shells, landmines hiding everywhere. You don't mm-hmm. want to just go walking around willy-nilly. Yeah, I wouldn't think so. Yeah, it's, it's still dangerous. Pretty, yeah, definitely dangerous. Now, that's kind of more of the, the unofficial trench zones, but they have created certain areas like where significant battles took place. Those mm-hmm. were turned into war monuments and cemeteries. So you can go visit those for sure mm-hmm. and okay. safely. You're not going to step on a landmine, hopefully, in those areas. <laughs> I hope not. But yeah, like you did and like I did, if you Google modern day images of World War One trenches, you'll see mm-hmm. they look kind of peaceful now. They're kind of beautiful, like in a very... They're very serene. They're they're all green now. They're not all muddy looking. They look like almost like an alien had come by and done some <laughs> crop circles yeah. in a way because they're like wavy lines with dots here and there. It's beautiful, but it's such a sad reminder of what had to happen. What it, it was definitely not like that. It's not cute like the Shire. <laughs> yeah, no. It took so long for nature to reclaim that and make it look peaceful again, I'm assuming. I would think it would take a little while, yes. And uh, yeah, like you said, if you didn't know what you were looking at, you might be like, oh, how fun. (laughs) What a cool place. Yeah. Like I said, crop circles, because that kind of is what it looks like to me. But some, I see some here, they probably have been maintained, but there's like flowers growing up the sides and I'm like, oh. Yeah. Yeah. And there's some like, there's some, um. there's one picture that I think I'm thinking of in particular where there's like a grassy knoll with trees around it but you would never know that underneath there used to be like a a war room for the brits Mm -hmm. (laughs) like they that was their bunker at the time but you can't tell now it just looks like a beautiful countryside and you know i just i guess i didn't realize it you know how you just hear words and you don't know where they come they came from but um i see here it says like in the graph the the diagram of a trench it has, like, their dugout area. And I didn't think about that, but, like, with baseball, you have your dugout where you the players go to, you know, chill until oh, it's time yeah. for them to go. But, yeah, it's like that's the dugout. Because no, that's funny. Out. I hadn't thought about that, but you're totally yeah. right. Yeah. At least that's not where I'm assuming where they got the term for, you know, baseball where, you know, the players hang out. I wonder if it went both ways. Like, maybe did baseball come first? I don't know. The first official game of baseball started in 1869. So maybe. But then again, I don't know if they had dugouts back then. That's a good point. Yeah. Which which one came first? (laughs) Dang. Yeah, I'm not sure. That's interesting, though. But um... yeah, very interesting. Um, I only have one little anecdote to tell Mm -hmm. before we wrap up today. Okay. This is a happy story of trench life. Well, I don't think there's many of those, but I'm very happy to hear something positive. (laughs) Yeah, not a lot of happy stories. So I was like, let's end on a good note. (laughs) Please. So this is called the Christmas truce. Christmas truce. Oh, oh. okay. Let's hear it. Yeah. So on the first year, remember in 1914 in September was the battle that pushed Germany back and had them digging in and making trenches. Mm -hmm. so by december of that same year trench life was already established Mm -hmm. and both sides along the western front unofficially some in some parts anyway they unofficially agreed to a ceasefire over christmas on christmas eve soldiers from both sides entered no man's land together 
to celebrate Christmas together. Aww. I know, it's kind of heart touching. I'm starting to get misty eyed just talking about it. Like, wow, after all that shit we just talked about and how much they tried to kill each other, there's this one tiny little glimmer of hope in this entire shitty story. <laughs> you know, sometimes I think that the people who actually fight in the wars are like, look, we kind of know we're just puppets. We may believe in the cause, we may not, but we're doing what we have to do because we are the soldiers. And I don't mean in puppets in a bad way. I mean, like, we are the... The soldiers, the, yeah. The soldiers. We are the soldiers. Yeah. The the kings and the queens and the prime ministers or whoever's in charge, president, they yeah. get to go stay at home. They're not here with us. No. Let's take a minute to be like, we're all human. Like, I feel may- like maybe that's where they were coming. It's like, we're all human we're all of one species i guess i don't know that's what i would imagine but then again i wasn't there i would have no idea how they felt about it you're actually right about it lisa that's what happened is that the officers uh, especially on the on the allies side the british Mm -hmm. officers were saying this is a trap (laughs) the germans are going to fire on us when we when we are leasing expecting it over christmas there is no such thing as a ceasefire blah 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 but -hmm. it didn't happen at least not in some parts like i said along the western front so yeah it was like the the soldiers the the boots on the ground guys were like no we're taking a couple days off and both sides unofficially agreed to it and in fact when they both entered into no man's land they even sang christmas carols and gave each other gifts no i know i just got chills saying that i was like that's so heartwarming and bizarre all i can imagine is like like it's the end of the time together they like fist bump each other and like i hope i don't kill you i hope you're okay like bros bros okay cool yeah it's so surreal because that's kind of what happened i'm sure since it really did happen that these opposing armies were giving each other gifts and they even started playing soccer on Christmas Day. So Christmas Eve, they came out, sang some Christmas carols, exchanged gifts of chocolate and sausages. Oh my God, chocolate and sausages. How freaking wholesome. <laughs> yeah. Back when they had food. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. They're like, do you have any coffee? Dude, you don't want our coffee. You don't want the coal tar, please, you, you believe don't me. Want it. <laughs> Yeah, so they started playing, they even started playing football on Christmas Day, soccer. And apparently, Germany won (laughs) the soccer game. (laughs) Uh, Well, that's all they won. That's all they won. British won the the whole war, so it's okay the Germans won that one soccer match. (laughs) Or football. Football. Football? Football. 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 They won three to two, Mm. supposedly. Close. Yeah. Close. Yeah. There was actually a movie about the Christmas truce. I remember watching it as a kid with my parents. On the Hallmark Channel? <laughs> Maybe. I don't remember. I don't even know what it was called. It might just be called Christmas Truce. Um, but it is about that ceasefire and them getting together and singing Christmas carols and stuff. But yeah, that's our episode. It's a rough life. I, I'm, I'm definitely glad they don't have to do that anymore. I don't think they do any kind of trench warfare anymore right you got all kinds of other technology you don't really need it right yeah i mean in countries that have the technology yeah definitely not maybe in some like third world countries where it's rebellions against the government or things like that they might still do trench warfare i don't know but yeah that's that's insane i i didn't know nearly as much as you told me um like i said all i know is from downton abbey but um 
you knew quite a bit from Downton Abbey, though, so that's good. Good for them being <laughs> historically accurate. They did a lot to be historically accurate. I'll give them that. Um, but I think it's a very important thing in history to know about, so I'm so glad you covered this. Well, thank you, Lisa. I'm glad, too. I'm glad. Now I'm also glad to leave it behind for a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> now let's never think about this again, if possible. I know, right? And next time I see, uh, I might have to wait a little bit to watch Downton Abbey <laughs> trench life. <laughs> but um, but anyway, yeah, that's our episode today. Thanks, guys, for coming. If you want to see what Near Death Dolls is up to, follow us on Instagram at Near Death Dolls Podcast. Tweet us on the Twitter at Near Death Dolls. If you have a weird, spooky personal story to add to our listener stories episodes, Type it up and email it to us at neardeathdolls at gmail.com. Put listener stories or dear dolls in the subject line. And be sure to tell us if you'd rather be anonymous or not. That's right. And if you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe and leave us a review. You can also help us by taking a screenshot of whatever episode you're listening to and share it on Instagram or Twitter. Be sure to tag us. And if you like... Uh, if you feel like joining in the shenanigans, the craziness, the fun, the inappropriate humor, come over to the Dark Dolly side and join our Patreon for some delicious extras, like our exclusive conversation show, Dolls After Dark, where things can, where things can get a little kooky, a little crazy, but in a fun way. Hey, doll fam, keep it real. Till next time, bye bye Avoid those bombs. Yes, <laughs> don't step on the landmines. Worry about the barbed wire. Get a tank, honestly. Get, just a, tank. get a tank. Tank it up. <laughs> Hashtag tank tech. Hashtag trench life. Tweet us. <laughs> thanks, guys. Bye. A special thanks to Sam Hears for our art and music. If you'd like to see more from him, check out the links in our show notes.